Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Most folks, religious or otherwise, have a reasonable respect for holy places or holy sites. When holy sites are desecrated or destroyed, as is too often the case these days, these actions are widely viewed as abhorrent, not just among the faithful, but even by those who identify themselves as agnostic or atheist. For the Catholic Christian, what makes a church holy is not merely the building, as beautiful as so many of them are. What makes the church holy is the presence of God that dwells in it. That's why we enter these, that's why when we enter these special spaces, there is a certain sense of thoughtfulness and reverence that comes over us. When we walk into our church or into our chapel, we quiet our hearts and our minds and hopefully our mouths. We make the sign of the cross. We bend down on one knee in adoration of our Lord's presence in the tabernacle. The church building is the dwelling place of God. This space is holy because he who is holy dwells within it. But church buildings are not the only places that God dwells. St. Paul, writing to the young and zealous Christians in Corinth, reminds them and us of the astonishing truth that our bodies are also temples of God because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So St. Paul writes, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? This residency of the Holy Spirit within us begins in baptism. You remember last week as we celebrated the baptism of our Lord, we were reminded that in our own baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon us and makes his home within us. We are anointed by the Holy Spirit in baptism. And St. Paul teaches this also to the Corinthians just a few verses prior to today's passage when he tells them, you were washed, speaking of their baptism, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And the implications of this are, frankly, overwhelming when we consider them. For starters, it means that we are never alone. Not only is the God of the universe omnipresent in his creation, but he also dwells within us. No wonder St. Paul says that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. How far do I need to travel to find God, to dwell in the presence of God? Not far at all. I can close my eyes and be still and know that God is present within me. 
I can allow my mind to descend into my heart in prayer where I can commune with the living God at any time and in any place. I am truly never alone. It also means that God is present in my Christian brothers and sisters. No wonder our Lord promises that when two or three are gathered in his name, he will be in the midst of them. C.S. Lewis reminds us of this remarkable truth in his essay, The Weight of Glory, when he concludes saying, next to the blessed sacrament itself, and by that he means our Lord present in the Eucharist, he says, next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object present to your senses. If he is your Christian neighbor, he is holy in almost the same way as the sacrament. Lewis says, for in him also Christ is truly hidden. This is also why uh, in our solemn liturgies, when we have the incense, we sense one another. Now, we only sense things that are holy, and we humans are not holy in and of ourselves, but we are holy because he who is holy dwells within us. And we honor that and recognize that when we sense one another at solemn liturgies. We are indeed never alone with the Spirit of God dwelling within us. However, this truth cuts both ways. When we are lonely, anxious, or afraid, we can take comfort that we are never alone because God is with us. But the same is true when we might think that we're alone, or perhaps uh, it would have been better if we were alone. It's true when we sin. We are never alone. God is still dwelling within us. If we think that we leave God in his temple every Sunday while we go out into the world to do our own thing, we are mistaken. We may fool other people. We may even fool ourselves. But we cannot fool God unto whom all hearts are open. Dwelling within us, we literally take God with us wherever we go. And this is the point that St. Paul is trying to educate the church at Corinth about. <clears throat> In this passage, he writes to them about not just their behaviors, but their bodily behaviors. And in particular, eating and sex. Bodily behaviors which are both right and good and for which our bodies were created by God. Nothing wrong with eating. Nothing wrong with sex. Unless a person thinks they can engage in these behaviors in unrestricted ways, which evidently the Corinthians did, the church at Corinth. Imagine that. Christians who are gluttonous and promiscuous. That's a joke. <laughs> Astonishing, right? It turns out the young Christians at Corinth are a bit too zealous about the freedom that they have in Christ. They seem to be operating with an anything-goes attitude. And so St. Paul clarifies for them that while they are indeed free in Christ and free from the law, it's not an unrestricted freedom. Freedom in Christ, he argues, it presumes that our wills are united with the will of God. It doesn't mean that we can just behave however we want. And in fact, unrestricted freedom 
only leads us back into the same slavery that we were redeemed from. So this is why St. Paul begins the passage today saying, yes, all things are lawful for me. And it's pointed out that this is a line that he probably taught the church at Corinth himself, and that they were at least misunderstanding or using out of context. So he circles back around and says, yes, all things are lawful for me. But then he goes on to qualify, but not all things are helpful, friends. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Or some translations say, I will not be brought under the power of anything. The great 4th century bishop, St. John Chrysostom, comments on this passage saying this. This is St. Paul's meaning. You are at liberty to eat, he says. Well then, remain in liberty, that is, in your freedom, and take heed that you do not become a slave to this appetite. For he who uses it properly, he is master of it. But he that exceeds the proper measure is no longer its master, but its slave, since gluttony reigns paramount within him. Do you perceive how, where the man thought he had authority, Paul points out that he is under authority? Each of them was saying, I have power to live luxuriously. But Paul says, in doing so, you are not so much acting as one who had power over a thing, but rather as being yourself subject to some such power. So St. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Do not, he's saying, in your liberty, allow your bodily passions to take control of you and so fall back into slavery. This, by the way, is one of the great values of the penitential seasons we have in the church year of Advent and of Lent. It's a time for us to make sure that our bodily passions are in check. And the same is true for sexuality, which he now moves into. Licentious or illicit sexual behavior only leads one into slavery of its voracious appetite. And this is an issue that we know just as well in our own day as in any day. St. Paul uses the example of prostitution, again, of which there was plenty in Corinth. And he explains that when a person, when a Christian, is joined to a prostitute, because in that act the two become one flesh, and because that Christian has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, it's like a logic problem, really. He says that they are, in effect, joining Christ with that prostitute. It's provocative imagery, to be sure. But St. Paul's point is to try to show the spiritual realities, effects, and consequences of our bodily actions. And so he concludes this piece by saying, shun immorality. Some translations say fornication. The Greek word used here when he says shun immorality, the Greek word is pornea. Sounds a lot like an English word, doesn't it? That's because we get that English word from the Greek word pornea. Shun pornea, immorality. The Greek word here means all illicit sexual activity, adultery, fornication, any sexual behavior outside the sacred bonds of matrimony. And by the way, as he's building his argument, he moves into chapter 7, 
where he then talks about the proper place of sexuality in the Christian vocations of husband and wife and Christian celibacy. You can read all about it in chapter 7. Shun immorality. The Greek word shun is fuego, which means to flee away, seek safety by flight. So he's not just saying avoid or turn away or even stop. He's saying flee, run far away. Why? Because he says the immoral man sins against his own body. And then he sums up all of this teaching with the charge. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own, he says. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. If we do not consider that God is present within us, that our bodies are his gift to us, and that they have been bought with a price, it is all too easy to think that our bodies are our own property, to do with as we see fit, for our good pleasure and nothing more. And this is, in fact, the great temptation for all humanity. But for the Christian, to pretend that our bodies are our own is dangerous spiritual business. Food and sexuality are right and good and a gift from God. But if we do not partake of God's gifts in accordance with his will, they no longer become the sources of joy and blessing that he intends them to be. And the young Christians in Corinth were evidently making some boneheaded choices that came with negative spiritual consequences. And St. Paul, if you read all of chapter 6, you'll see, he does not mince words about the dangers and the consequences. But his overall purpose for writing this letter is to educate and inspire these Christians. Not just to do the right thing, just because, but to know why what we do with our bodies is so important. It's for our own sake that he instructs us on the inner mysteries of the purpose of our human bodies, that our bodies were meant for the Lord, he says, and the Lord for our bodies, that God has indeed bought us for an astonishing price, sent his Holy Spirit to dwell within us in baptism, to make his home in us. That's the primary purpose of our bodies, that they would be temples of the Holy Spirit. This is not some esoteric, philosophical, theological idea. It's a core belief of the Christian faith, a powerful and a beautiful reality. And if we understand it as such, and we are mindful of this truth, it will change how we act. It will have profound and radical effects on the way that we treat our bodies in our day-to-day -day lives. So may we heed St. Paul's charge and glorify God in our bodies this day and always. In the name of the living and true God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.